0: Hello and welcome back to the free and figuring it out podcast we are super excited today at the moment we are running our money may series and we are joined by Catherine morgan Catherine morgan is a qualified financial planner certified financial coach founder of the money panel and host of the in her financial Chief podcast so thank you so much Catherine, for joining us today we are so so excited to have you and we're talking all things budgeting
1: Oh you're welcome thank you so much for having me. So
0: just to kick us off I think it'll be really useful we have got listeners at all different ends of the scale when it comes to money could you just give a super simple intro to like what a budget actually is?
1: Yeah sure so this is a really interesting subject for me because um, I am actually not a believer in budgeting. (laughs) With budgeting, for me, it's very restrictive and, you know, this isn't about restricting your money, it's about giving every pound a purpose. And giving every pound a purpose in line, in alignment with what is right for you. So I'm not a massive believer in budgeting. I think that it can really, that just the word budgeting can send people into a massive spiral of guilt, shame, judgment, not good enough, not even wanting to look at their bank statements because it's about restricting money. When in reality, it's about giving every pound a purpose. And if we can approach budgeting from that perspective, it actually makes it more exciting Or makes it more, you know, we're more willing to actually look at our finances, I think, if we approach it from a different perspective.
2: Mm, And that's interesting you say that because we have spoke about, um, and Sherelle, remind me of the book, but you know the different tendencies where I'm sort of a rebel and you're, which one is it? The
0: Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin.
2: Yeah so we have spoke about this in the past and me and Sherelle, if you don't know are complete opposites in every sort of area in our life apart from the fact we're both marketers <laughs> um, but everything else is different so we grew up quite similar um, in terms of our financial situation but then Sherelle became a spender and um, a saver and I became a spender
1: mm-hmm. so it's
2: really interesting you saying that um, about you know how because budgeting does kind of as a rebel it it triggers me, you know, and I think, Oh, but that's, that's so like you say, restrictive and, and really something that I have to then stick to. And my, my inner core is like, I don't want to do that. I want to be free. (laughs) So it's really interesting hearing you say that.
1: Yeah. I think some of it also can come down to just the relationship that we have with money, you know, because in reality, it's never about the money. It's the meaning that we've given to money throughout our life from the lessons that we've experienced growing up around money which you know predominantly is going to be from our parents or our caregivers around money and so the meaning that we give to money growing up then it informs our blueprint if you like it becomes our blueprint by how we operate and make decisions and actually a lot of the time money comes down to our self-worth mm-hmm. you know and our ability to feel deserving to receive money or to give money or to hold on to money is really a reflection of how comfortable we feel to receive whatever the meaning is that we give to money. So in other words, if the meaning you've given to money growing up is that money is hard to come by, or you have to give to receive, or you have to work hard for money, you know, this this informs our, our belief systems, our money narratives, the stories that we tell ourselves. And, and we carry those beliefs all the way through the rest of our lives until we actually bring some curiosity to what are those beliefs by which we're operating and making decisions or not, you know, indecisions. And so when we call ourselves, you know, spenders or savers, we have to be careful, actually, with the labels that we choose to give ourselves as well around money because um, we aren't those labels mm. and Know I'm a huge believer in you know, great in some ways to articulate or understand whether you're more prone to overspending or saving or over-saving, for example, or overgiving or over planning. Um, that that's useful in some ways, but we have to be really careful that we don't hold on to those labels because when we say things about ourselves, like, I am not good at managing money, I am an overspender, I am a saver is then the brain takes that information as truth and it will seek further evidence to support that belief because the brain doesn't actually know the difference between fact and non-fact it just takes information files it away in a little catalogue of files and then anytime that you're feeling unsafe then it will protect as much as it can that's the that's the brain's main purpose is to protect you and so when often people save they save because it makes them feel safe So often, people will create budgets because it makes them feel safe. And equally, people don't like to create budgets because they think, no, because I'm not going to feel safe because I've had an overspending relationship, perhaps with money. And so, the the idea or the concept of budgeting or restricting, which was my experience growing up too, as well, Verity, um, (laughs) makes it scary. And why would I want to do anything scary? So, I think the terminology, the language that we use around money is really, really important.
0: Yeah, I absolutely Mm. agree with what you say in terms of if you class yourself as a saver or a spender, then you can easily start to self-reinforce that information. And yeah, I would naturally class myself as a saver. And therefore, that's probably why I find budgeting really safe. But actually, Mm. in the last few years, I've actually used a budget to help encourage me to spend. So actually, I because I don't see budgeting as restrictive, and actually what I've really now enforced myself is... Well, I know the percentage that I feel is right for me to save is set aside. And therefore, the rest of my money I have, I'm like, you need to spend this. Like, you have to be more proactive. So I think that's why I come from a budgeting perspective, not as in such a restrictive way. And what I do think is interesting, though, and I would love for you to talk about a little bit more, is it doesn't matter what point you are in your journey. So whether you are someone who is in debt and therefore you're trying to budget so that you can stop paying back, or you could be someone who wants to be saving for something in the future. And that's why you feel like a budget is purposeful. Like Budgeting goes across no matter what stage you are in your financial journey. So it'd be just useful to talk a little bit about how, yeah, depending on where you are, it can be helpful to, to try and budget.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting point because we often lose sight of where we are. Um, and the reason that is is because we just compare ourselves to everybody else, right? You know, even oh, yeah. the people that we follow, the books that we read, the things that we see on social media, we're always we always fall into this comparisonitis trap, and it's one of the the most difficult emotions to deal with. And I'll talk a little bit about emotions in a second, but. In terms of the stages of wealth creation, um, I always like to think about um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. And what Maslow talked about was the different stages of security and safety. And you can apply this, this kind of framework to money because actually for most of us, most of us start from a place of instability where we're just trying to get our basic needs met. You know, we're trying to pay our bills. We're trying to pay our mortgages, our rent, um, maybe have some money available to spend on things that we really enjoy. Um, and then the idea is that we want to then go from place of instability to stability and security and just feeling good about money. And once we feel good about money, it actually opens up, it expands our comfort zone to enable us to receive more money and give more money freely. And for many of you listening to this, you'll be more familiar or comfortable with either giving or receiving. It'll be one of those two things. Some people are very, very comfortable to give money to others, actually sometimes in detriment to their own needs. um, And sometimes we are more happy to receive money and we kind of hoard on some money we're maybe you know using that label kind of a saver um and so the relationship we have with money and how we apply that to the stages of wealth creation the stages of budgeting is it does apply to every single stage of the wealth creation journey but remembering where you're at is really important so if you're in a place of instability you know building up um you know your financial stability fund or your freedom fund or your activity fund or your adventure fund you know i, I don't like again i don't like the cookie cutter approaches of emergency funds and rainy day funds because in reality what does a rainy day fund actually mean i mean does it mean you only spend it on when it's raining which is probably quite a high chance in the uk um <laughs> you know but but again it's 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 using words that make you feel more excited and more in alignment with your financial values than just using these kind of cookie cutter approaches. So with budgeting, you know, think about where you're at in your journey. If you are in a place of instability, then budgeting can be very useful to get you into a place of stability. But actually, one of the ways that people struggle with budgeting is they they worry about how to do it. Like, do I use a spreadsheet? Do I use an app? Do I do it manually? And there's so many different ways that you can budget. I use the envelope system. You know, there's lots of different ways to budget. And the the one like best tip I can give around budgeting is bring your money to life by giving every pound a purpose and visualising that. So I use I'm a big lover of Starling Bank over in the UK here, yeah. and yeah. I love the concept of um, money pots. You know, and this is this comes back to the psychological impact of mental accounting. You're mentally accounting, giving every pound a purpose, setting up a pot for that purpose. And then in the Starling Bank app and Monzo is very similar over in the UK, you can set up pots and put like pictures behind them. Um, and it really just it changes the whole concept of money for me and budgeting, because you can you can make the decision based on what stage you're at to where do you need to give money purpose for you in your situation right now because if you're in a place of instability paying your bills is where your focus should be Mm -hmm. you know if you're in a place of stability then maybe looking at things like investing and giving back to the world investing in sustainable you know ethical investments that kind of strategy may be useful for you to set aside a proportion of your you know money coming in to investing for your financial future. But if you're in a place of instability, that may not be the best way for you to budget with your money. So I think it is really important to to remember which stage are you at, instability, stability, or are you rising up the wealth pyramid and then looking at things like self-actualization and financial freedom, you know, creating different semi passive income streams for yourself, all those kind of areas. Like, I really yeah. like
0: that idea of using like Maslow's hierarchy needs and changing it for money. It's not one I've come across before, but I can really see how it works.
2: Yeah, definitely. And it sang out to our marketing carts. <laughs> a nice <laughs> bit of marketing theory there. Um, I just want to go touch on something you said. So being like fully transparent, I'm definitely in that instability phase. I have a Starling um, business account. I have a Monzo personal account. I didn't even know they did those things because to me, they're an app. I go on them. I try not to look because I don't really want to see the figures. I've taken, you know, so many years and building this relationship of not being scared of looking at my bank account and not, I think something you said before about this worth and it connects with women and we've spoke about this so many times on the podcast you know just looking at it and thinking how have you got into this state like what you know how you're an intelligent woman like you've really let yourself down trying to just look at it from um I suppose not a victim mentality and being like Mm -hmm. right I'm going to take control of this I'm going to be empowered but when it comes to those sort of methods of beginning to budget if you're in a place of instability like you know how would you advise sort of um I suppose like building a relation a better relationship with your bank accounts and with your apps and and things like that because I literally only look at them when I have to and it's never a positive thing I'm never like oh you know I'm so you know abundant I'm like oh gosh you know like I've got to pay this so any any tips on that in tying it in with budgeting
1: yeah and I, I, so My advice, and this is based on my own experience, you know I spent all of my 20s living in debt um, Mm. and I was a financial advisor, so you can imagine the guilt and the shame that was associated with giving everybody else financial advice and I wasn't following it for myself. Um, And so really the first step for me is about awareness of your money story and your money beliefs. Um, And for me, when I went through this um, exercise, and it does take a little time, you know, it's not like an instant overnight um, solution. But for me, when I went back and looked at my relationship with money, I gave money so much power. You know, Mm -hmm. I gave away so much of my power to money um, and I felt exactly the same verity. I didn't like looking at my bank account. Um, I felt awful when I looked at it. And that was the place I needed to start. I needed to create a better relationship with money. And so one of the ways that you can do that is, is to think about, well, if money were a person, how would you treat money? You know, if money were your best friend, how would you serve money? How would you honor money? How would you try and, ha- and have a better relationship with money? And, and really, that's about digging deep into your own sense of self, you know, because if the meaning that you give to money is fear and scarcity, then often that's linked to how we feel about ourselves, and we imprison ourselves in money shame and guilt for you know longer than criminal <laughs> jail sentences you know keeping ourselves stuck and imprisoned with those you know that those beliefs that money is shameful or we've had some experiences that we we don't think are very good you know where then we label ourselves with bad with money or bad at maths you know i'm not good with numbers so therefore i'm just not going to look at my bank account maybe the, your teacher said that to you at school um so I think the first thing is to actually understand what is the relationship you have with money and where does that come from Mm. and most of the beliefs that we carry around money have just been inherited through the generations they've just been inherited from parents grandparents great great grandparents and when I think about my relationship with money what was really, really interesting for me is that most of my money in my 20s was spent on clothes um And I had eating disorders all through my 20s and my teenage years. I was really badly bullied at school. And so I felt bad about myself. And I gave power to money in the hope that money could make me feel better about my body, my body shame. And of course, it didn't. But what happened is I got into this cycle of debt where I would shop, buy more clothes, hope that I'd feel better about myself. Um, And it did temporarily. And then I went back into the cycle of pain and then I shopped again to get the pleasure to feel better about myself, but then that pleasure would disappear and the pain would start again. So often we we give money power because we want it to help us to make us feel better about the guilt and the shame and the judgment and all the negative emotions. But actually those emotions are also there to protect us from pain. So the first step I always think is, is bring some awareness to your relationship with money you know, think about the relationship and the lessons that you learned from your parents. You know, if your parents taught you to be good savers, then be grateful for those lessons that you've received. But also think about the flip side of the coin. You know, imagine you've got a coin in front of you and you're looking at one side of it. Maybe it's the queen and you're thinking, right, what are all the good things that I've learned about money and how has this served me? But then you want to flip it and think, right, how has this self sabotaged me? Or how has this prevented me from taking risks? Maybe as a saver, one of the hardest things that savers find is taking risks. So they like to hoard in cash because it feels safe. So that could be one of the challenges. If you're a spender, then the benefits of that is most spenders tend to be very impulsive and spontaneous which is great if you're an entrepreneur and you're running a business because you can make quick decisions. That's the way I always view my relationship with money. It's enabled me to make really, really quick financial decisions and enabled me to you know, grow a very successful business. But on the flip side, the challenge for me is that, um, that being spontaneous means that I can maybe be you know, too impulsive with my decisions and, and can lead me into overspending. So then it's thinking about, okay, so what's the emotion that sits behind that? What's the emotion that I'm seeking by spending money? Um, and just bringing some curiosity around some of that for yourself can really help you to think about coming into a mindset of stability. And, uh, you know, I heard you talk about uh, abundance, Verity. Sometimes that word abundance just isn't the right word for us to use with ourselves because it feels too big and if we're at a stage of instability abundance can feel too way too big way too like it's far out of reach so choose words that really resonate with you to gently expand your financial comfort zone
2: wow okay needed to hear all of that and I'm sure there's many women listening to that was just like you've just sort of read my life story there so yes can it can relate to that a lot I just want to ask at the start of the podcast you said about budgeting you're not a huge fan of kind of that word what what do you use instead then as as like more empowering for women
1: Yeah so um I from a language perspective creating a spending plan for me is far more positive than a budget plan I mean it's kind of semantics right like if budgeting works for you great But if that word sends you into a spiral of anxiety, then reframe that into a word that's positive. So a spending plan for me is about you giving every pound a purpose Mm -hmm. based on the stage that you're at. So if you're in a place of instability, you get to choose how you allocate those pounds and give those pounds a purpose. So if you're running a business, for example, imagine that every pound that's coming into your account is like, a little minion that's coming to your desk on a Monday morning and it's bopping up and down. It's really exciting. It's like, what job do you want me to do today? And so you get to choose. This isn't about control. This is about choice. Mm-hmm. And and the reason i mention that is because again, the word control I think is really overused when it comes to budgeting. People think I want to be more in control of money. Well, really it's not about being in control because in control is quite a masculine power driven word. This isn't about having power over money, because then you're giving too much power away to money. This is about actually having choice and freedom for you to decide what purpose do I want to give money? So when I think when I create a spending plan with clients, um, I, I, I speak to them about, you know, what purpose do you need to give money right now that's right for you right now? what's going to help you move from the next stage of your wealth creation journey from a pace of you know stability to growth or instability to stability and, and one of the phrases that we use in our community is get financially naked with this you know like we have to have a bit of fun with money we often do this in our pajamas you know a lot of the um workshops that I deliver I always deliver them in my pajamas because it just gets people relaxed and feeling you know easy around money and we use this term kind of get financially naked which is in reality about stripping everything back like strip everything back to basics and then just put yourself into a position of choice and opportunity and I just think that approach to money will make you feel much more motivated to start making some decisions for yourself rather than comparing yourself to everybody else which is what we have a big tendency to do around money I really like Definitely. your idea of like choice, not control and like
0: really feeling as if you do have a choice of your money. However, I think I know some people that still won't feel like they have a choice. And so I'm a big fan of budgeting, like, like I've done it for years and a very common, um, like formerly come across as the 50, 30, 20, and this idea that like 50% should be your needs, 30% is your wants and 20% that like you save. And I remember when I first came across that like rule, I was living in London and 50% of my salary definitely wasn't like that didn't even cover my rent. I remember being like, you know, you can have all these sort of theories, but it's just not um, like reality. And I didn't feel as if I had much of a choice. So I suppose it would be really interesting, like in terms of like, how do you, if yeah, the standard rules don't apply. So for me, like that rule did not apply and I couldn't make it apply because the numbers between my salary and my rent just wouldn't work up. What is your approach for someone who is, and just want to try and find a way to make this spending plan that is realistic how can they start to approach that
1: I think the first step is to um, just pay some so pay some curiosity to your relationship how you feel about money and then just tackle it from a, a really positive perspective so sometimes um, it can be useful to just get yourself into the right frame of mind to then look at the numbers. And sometimes that can be useful to do with a financial coach. So you've got someone that you can collaborate and be supported with. Um, But also creating the right environment I think is really important.
0: Hey, it's Sherelle here, and I'm quickly popping in to make sure that you know this is episode one of our Figuring Money Out mini series. There are four more episodes in this mini series, so if you aren't already subscribed to the podcast, please stop right now and hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We are so excited about creating this mini series because We didn't want to just get financial experts to share their best advice to help you out, but we also want to help normalise the idea of talking about money. So if you are enjoying this episode, please share it with a friend and whilst you're sending it across to them, share a little bit about your own experience of budgeting. And as well as talking to your friends about money, we really want you to talk to us too. Please come on over to Instagram and find us at Free and Figuring It Out. You can comment on the related posts in the feed or you can drop us a DM. We really want to hear about your relationship with money, where you are on your financial journey and what the podcast has got you thinking about. So please do come and find us over on Instagram and that is Free and Figuring It Out. Now back to the rest of the episode.
1: So I have a Sunday money date with myself and I stick my favorite music on I have a cup of giant cup of tea I close my bedroom door so my family know that I'm I'm going in to have a look at my my money and creating so creating that space of safety you know lighting a candle putting a nice blanket around yourself because money is very somatic right it's very physical we get a physical reaction when we look at our bank statements sometimes and if that physical reaction is fear or stress or Um, anxiety, then, you know, give yourself that, that feel good factor, you know, wrap yourself in a nice, comfortable blanket, run a nice hot bath before you go and look at your numbers and just create that atmosphere of feeling good around money. Um, But then when you look at your financial figures, the easiest way I would always do this is to print off your bank statement and grab a couple of highlighter pens. First of all, we love highlighter pens and (laughs) stationery. so any excuse (laughs) right um and just simply go through your bank statement and think about what are your non-negotiables and what are your negotiables so your non-negotiables are going to be things like food your electricity bills your rents or your mortgage although i'd actually put a bit of a question mark around that because we choose to live where we live Mm -hmm. and sometimes people are in a difficult financial decision and they have to take extreme financial measures or decisions in order to get them placed back into a place of stability, you know, and particularly with COVID this year, we have seen some significant impacts on people's <laughs> finances. Right now, in most situations, you can you can muddle your way through that, you know, and and maybe spend slightly less on this and spend slightly less on this. But sometimes it does take a dramatic change for you to think about. Mm, actually, I choose to pay this mortgage. I choose to live where I live maybe it's time for me to rethink that and I know that sound that does sound very extreme but sometimes it you know just going through those non-negotiables and negotiables you know which one which one of those expenses do you really have choice that you need to spend or not need to spend um, and when I did this exercise many years ago I very quickly identified I was spending like four five hundred pounds a month on Amazon Amazon was like my go to app, you know, like the one click action and it's mm. here the, the same day, you know, it's that um, because it, it it pulled to that impulsive nature of, how, of my relationship with money. But when I looked at what I was spending it on, it was like picture frames and um, furniture for my house and like things that I didn't really need. And so I started to think about, OK, so what do I need and what do I want? And this is something we teach my my children i've got two boys who are seven and nine and we teach our kids this um and actually and i'm going slightly off, off the topic here but when you change your financial relationship with money you're not just changing your own financial relationship you're changing it for the future generations and the reason i share that is because that can be really empowering that you're not just changing your future you're changing the future of every single future generation children future grandchildren you know so if you are a mother and you're worried about your children's relationship with money start from your own because they will learn through observation of what you do and don't do, you know, so creating a needs and a wants list can be really powerful to just get you to think about, okay, so I do really want to buy the new iPhone, but I don't need it. It's going to go on my wants list. And I'm going to create a plan around that to be more proactive with saving towards that and getting the motivation of wanting to save towards something rather than maybe being a bit more reactive um, so that so for me you know a simple exercise highlighter pens what are your negotiables what are your non-negotiables but also think about what is it that causes you to go out of your budget and the biggest one for most people are the um, unexpected costs um, but some of those unexpected costs can actually be expected costs, like we all know that Christmas happens every year at the same time of the year, but yet how many of us actually save in advance for Christmas? You know, we know that at some point in the year, the tire is going to burst on the car. We know that at some point in the year, one of our electrical appliances is going to blow up, right? <laughs> it, it, we just know these things are going to happen, but we don't save in advance for them, and the reason that we don't is because... The brain actually finds it very difficult to think about our financial future um and the the reason i mention that is because if we if you think about that knowing that the brain finds it difficult you know humans crave certain they crave crave certainty so our natural instinct is to, is to live for the here and now money hmm. today what do i need today versus money tomorrow so threats to our sense of certainty will register as actual pain to the brain and so the brain needs certainty we don't know what's going to happen in the future we don't even know what's going to happen next week let alone next year or let alone when we're retired so you know there's a lot the the financial services profession I think puts a lot of pressure on people where they expect people they, they should on us You know, you should be doing this with money. You should be saving 25% of your income into a pension, double your age, you know, and you look at that and think, oh my God, I can't even afford to do like 2%, let alone 20%. You know, they they do a lot of shoulding on us. And it isn't about, it isn't about others' expectations or the um, profession's expectations. This is about going back to basics. What do you need? What's going to help you to create the next best step for your financial future, not the kind of cookie cutter approaches.
0: I love what you said about like so many things that are unexpected are expected. I um have a 2021 budget and um, spreadsheet that I have me and a few friends go through. We sit down at the end of the month and we look back at what we spent. And when I was going through everyone on a monthly basis, I was like, you know, I've got a friend that's got kids, I know when your kids' birthdays are, you are going to spend more money in that month. So put it in straight away. I know June, July, August. I spend much more money in the summer because I'm out. I'm going out for drinks. I have most of my friends' birthdays. So for me, I spend much more money. So you can be planning. I think even to think you spend the same amount of money each month isn't realistic. Actually, most of us have these ebbs and flows across the year.
1: Yeah, and being comfortable with those ebbs and flows, right? Um, that, that's a big thing too because you know sometimes when we when we budget, we try and kind of you know, really get clear on this is going here, this is going here, this is going on here. And it it takes away that freedom, you know, that that space for money to just flow um, and just trust that money will flow. And, you know, being comfortable with ebbs and flows, particularly when you're in business, I think is really important because, you know, you will get peaks and troughs of of income. Um, And so from a budgeting perspective, one of the things you can do, if this is the first time you've ever created a budget for yourself, is to yeah, go back over the last 12 months, You know, print off your last 12 months bank statements, sit on your bedroom floor, grab your highlighter pens, have some nice chocolate and treats around you. And, you know, think about, okay, so what did I spend in the last 12 months, which of those expenses are likely to happen in the next 12 months, and then set up some money pots with a nice little title on them, like your financial freedom fund or your get debt free fund, or, you know, your um, like I've got a, a pot at the moment called my love, uh, no, what's it called? My uh, eat, pray, love retreat pot, oh, which nice. is just one of my favorite books. And at some point when the world reopens again, I want to take myself off to a retreat on my own. So visually, I'm really motivated to put money into that pot and not spend it on Amazon because I'm more motivated towards something that's pleasurable rather than away from pain, which is where I felt in my twenties, where everything was just about paying debts off all the time. And it, you know, it gets you very much stuck
2: in a pain mentality around money. Mm, Yeah. I hear you on that one. Um, Just kind of moving on connected to that. If there's women out there listening and I was in this position at one point where, You just think, well, I can't budget. I can't have a spending plan because I have have no money. Like, you know, it it gets to a point where, you know, everything goes on rent bills, credit card bills. And then you get to the second of the month and it's all gone because it's all paid stuff off. And then you're in your credit cards again. And that's how you live, you know. Any advice around that? Any women who probably are at that real starting stage with, with spending plans and just like, they're just like, well, how do I do it when I feel like I literally don't have a penny? Like any advice mm. around that?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think the two things there, one would be focus on your income as much as your outgoings. Mm. Because actually when we think about budgeting, you know, and you know, lining everything up so we've got enough money to pay off all the things we need to do, We sometimes forget that the other variable in this is the income, Mm. you know, so how can you influence your income as well as your outgoing? So that may be, you know, and that may be more challenging if you're employed than if you're self-employed. But if you're employed, maybe that's an opportunity for you to think about, right, what are my skills? How can I bring my skills and my passion together to turn passion into profit? So how could I start a side hustle? start selling some stuff on eBay. You know, there's there's so many different semi-passive income streams that you could create for yourself um, that would just bring in a little bit of extra money that you could then redirect to give every pound a purpose. And maybe that's the pot that you choose to then start saving towards something that's more pleasurable for you rather than you know paying off debts, for example. Maybe you could use that money to start creating a financial stability fund for yourself so that when the washing machine does inevitably break down Um, you're not then having to put that on a credit card because you're in that survival um, mentality around money so you know and and it could be going and asking for a pay rise and doing some work around your self-worth you know there's lots of creative ways that you can make money and particularly you know right now in the world of social media you know you could you know you can make money from recommending books that you read by signing up to Amazon affiliate programs you can don't make
0: much readers let me know? just tell you that <laughs> Five years, you. don't make
1: much. true very true but you know when I started when I was in debt in my 20s the I've had three businesses before this one and my first business was I actually trained as an image consultant and I started working with women to help them with their body shape and how they could um, improve their relationship with their body, and then I started selling gifts. You know, I I just went to the uh, wholesale markets and these trade fairs. I set up a Facebook group. I built a, my own website. So in the evenings, you know, the kids would be in bed, and I would learn how to build a website, um, and I would sell products, jewelry, scarves, candles, and I absolutely loved it. And I learned so much about marketing that then really helped me to build this business into a you know a, a multiple six figure business. Um, so there's so many little things that you can do. Where just you know thinking about turning your passion into profit, and how could you increase your income as well as just looking at the outgoings.
2: I think that's so important, and actually something that I've done recently. I've all I do is look at spending, and I've never really questioned. Well, how can I increase? how much I am bringing in so to speak you know if if oh I really God. genuinely have have tried to reduce everything as much as I can um then how can I increase it and I think again it comes back to that self-worth doesn't it you know um I've been looking at roles that are half what I'm worth to be paid you know and it's just as a woman you think oh well maybe I can take that and maybe and it's just really kind of Owning that and being like, you know, I I deserve to be paid well for the skills that I've acquired, or you know, I'm going to produce this beautiful side hustle and and people will want to buy things off me because I'm putting so much like love and care into it. And I think, mm. I think the income bit is yeah, really, really important. So yeah, what I would say there,
1: Verity, is what what you said mm. there that was really interesting for me was you said that I deserve to be paid more. And mm. when people say that, you're actually connecting your sense of self with money okay can you hear that in 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 your statement they're like I deserve to earn more money so we're connecting our sense of self with how much money we should be earning and so my advice for anyone and and I I completely resonate with this myself I I used to say this to myself a lot Mm -hmm. um is to detach your sense of self from money it's not the same thing your sense of self is the same whether you have a pound in your bank account or a million pounds in your bank account. But the reason that we don't feel like that is because as soon as I say that people are like, oh no, but people who've got a million pounds, they're greedy and they're mean and they're bitches. Because you know we we watch films like Devil Wears Prada and rich people are greedy and they're mean and they're horrible and you have to work really hard to make money. And, And that's why I always go back to, listen to your language and be really curious to how can you change your language to support your your well-being and your sense of self and detach that away from money and and see what opportunities exist on the other side
2: mm, and yeah that that's so true and just quickly on that I think this comes from when we speak we, we spoke a bit about the woo-woo side of things before we came on recording but we spoke about woo we quite a bit on the podcast and I feel there, there is, you know, you spoke about that emotional side of of money and budgeting and, and spending, and I feel like all those words have come from all my meditations and manifestation mm. plans and things like that. And what I found recently with with money and, and budgeting and, and spending is trying to be get to the realistic part as well. Um, and I know that you work a lot with with Mindset, Catherine, but it's also like just trying to stop like wishing every evening that a hundred thousand pound is going to land in my bank account, and me and Shirella spoke about this, and and it's it's really like balancing those two, isn't it? And um yeah, just just sort of um rather burying my head in the sand, trying to be like, actually, you know, this is my choice to to kind of make friends with money and and get out of debt, and you know, make money parts and things like that, so. Yeah, no, I think it was really powerful what, what you said then. Hard to hear, but powerful.
1: <laughs> yeah, and 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 it is, you know, it is because a lot of the emotions that we feel around money feel hard. You know, it, it can just genuinely feel really, really hard. But remember that emotions are not negative. They're there to give you, um, they're there first of all to, to make you feel safe. Um, but they're also there to empower you, not disempower you. So think about what is the emotion that you're feeling around money. And the first thing I would always do is just take a deep breath, you know, because it, it can be very visceral, um, you know, so, so you want to tell your nervous system that you're safe. So you can you know, practice meditation, practice just some deep breath work, just to acknowledge that actually it's okay to feel this emotion and I'm safe because once your nervous system knows that you're safe, then you can acknowledge the emotion, be thankful for it, for keeping you safe, but then separate the fact from the fiction, you know? So what is the fact, what is factually true right now about money and the situation that you are in? Um, and ask yourself, you know, what, what do I need to do next? What is the next small step? You know, we talk about this on the In Her Financial Shoes podcast, it's the small steps. What mm. is the next small step that I need to take today that's gonna to improve my financial situation tomorrow? And then you ask yourself the same question tomorrow, what's the next small step that I can take That's going to make me feel more empowered, not disempowered. Um, And that can be inner work over the practical work. You know, a lot of people just focus on on the financial education. Financial education is not the solution because we can know everything there is to know about budgeting, investing, paying down debts, making more money. Um, But actually, if we're not going to stick to those plans or follow through that advice, then it's useless. So it's not just about financial education is not the answer. We've got to really think about combining the emotional aspects of our relationship with money with the practical steps. And then, you know, really just establishing what's the next best right thing for you today in the current moment. Forget the future. Don't worry about the future that you can park that worry. You know, we call it worry postponement. Postpone that worry for another day. Thank Mm -hmm. you for keeping you safe. But I don't need you here today. This is Mm -hmm. what I need to do. Um, yeah, I love how you talked about like following
0: through is totally different having financial education doing it's two different things so if someone has taken your advice they printed off the last year of uh, their bank transactions they've done all that highlighting they're able now to like you know have a bit a better bit of grip about what they do spend their money on what is it like just last advice can you have to helping people to stick to that spending plan
1: yeah it's a great question um So come back to your natural relationship with money, if you're a natural um, spender, um, then that's fine, but acknowledge that and think about what are the triggers for you to overspend, because that's often one of the reasons why people don't stick to a budget, is that then they feel rubbish about themselves, they've had a bad day at work, they're feeling stressed. And then they overspend and it's not in alignment with their spending plan and it, and it tips them over and then they mm. put that on credit cards and they get into debt cycles so the first thing is if you are a natural spender is just recognize that and and try and think about what are your emotional triggers what is it you know at what moments in the day do you tend to spend is it on an evening when you're bored when you're stressed when you're on the couch you know there's nothing else to do so you're kind of on your phone. Um you can use some really quick tactics like um, delay gratification. So you could put everything in your Amazon shopping basket, for example, your ASOS shopping basket or wherever your go-to is, but leave it there for 48 hours. Um, and what that enables the brain to do is to come out of the emotional flooding state and into the logical side of the brain. Um, because the emotional part of the brain is the same part of the brain that triggers The reaction to overspend, to overeat, to Um, overdrink—it's the addiction part of the brain um, that's flooded with the adrenaline rush. So you can't prevent that adrenaline rush because actually you want that adrenaline rush to feel good. So get Mm -hmm. that feel-good adrenaline rush, but then leave it in the shopping basket and come back to it 48 hours later. And the likelihood is you won't check it out because then you'll be in a logical frame of mind. So you can do little tactics like that. If you're a if you're a planner, a natural planner the biggest thing that's going to prevent you from sticking to your budget is um, wanting to feel safe by saving, 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 saving. So what you could do is within your spending plan is create yourself a risk pot or a spontaneous pot or a carefree pot Mm -hmm. and give yourself a little bit of money and you could increase it every month, a little bit of money, whether that's £10, £20, £50, and just have some fun with that money, with no plans whatsoever. Like go to town with it, be really spontaneous. So if your friend rings you and says, "Oh, hey, like the coffee shops are opening now, let's go for a coffee," rather than being like, "Oh, let me just check my how like like my money," you've got that spontaneous fund. So you've got that ability to be able to to do that. Yeah, I have that fund. It's called the Fun 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 Fund. <laughs> oh, I love it, <laughs> love it. And the other one is if you're an over giver right and a lot of women Mm. can really relate to this if you're an over giver and so you end up in potentially not budgeting your money because you're giving to everybody else think about your needs what are your boundaries what boundaries are you going to set imagine you're the queen of your realm and you're setting these boundaries for your realm you know what boundaries do you need to create for yourself so have yourself a treat pot you know verity's treat pot and give Mm. yourself permission to you know put 50 quid a month in there because then even if you're in debt and you're paying down debt and you're in that situation you've still got that nice little pot available to you that's going to make you feel good and and guilt-free like take away the guilt and the shame on that spending pot and just naturally increase that over time so that you can feel comfortable about giving And, and all of these little pots that you set up are essentially just stretching that comfort zone um so those would be my tips is once you've created that spending plan to help you stick to it, you've really just got to think about your relationship with money and what what's going to potentially trigger you to veer off that. Um, and that's where it all comes back to, you know, how we make decisions around money. 90% are from our unconscious mind. They're not conscious decisions. They're unconscious decisions. But you can bring some consciousness to them by just thinking about mm, okay so i'm naturally going to probably hoard this or i'm naturally just going to overspend and thinking about how you can kind of put some um boundaries in place to support you
2: wow so <laughs> so many amazing things there, Catherine. <laughs> um yeah I, that yeah I, I don't know what to say really i'm a bit speechless so <laughs> that was so just important just I think, yeah, whether you're listening and you're a bit more like Shirelle or a bit more like me and, you know, obviously trying not to use those labels, but it's it's just there's lots of nuggets there for people to take away and start to think about and put in place. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely helped me process um, a few things. So so thank you. Um, before we let you go, we're going to do a quick fire round to delve a bit deeper that we ask all our guests. So are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready, I'm ready, okay. I think. <laughs> so, um, first question, what is the definition of free to you?
1: Mm. So, the first word that comes up when I think about free is, like, limitless. Like, it's, it's all like space. It's almost got no, there's no boundaries around anything. It's, it's limitless. There's, there's, there's possibility. Mm. So whenever I think about that word free, part of my brain actually thinks free as in I don't have to pay for it. But part <laughs> of me is like, but, but, but that's weird, right? Because when I think about that, I'm like, Oh, but, but am I deserving to have something that's free? Like I really struggle with this, even myself, you know, even though I teach this and I train people around how to become a financial coach, I still struggle with this, that concept of free, because it feels like like if I get gifts from clients, if it's a small gift, I'm, I'm quite okay with that. But if it's like a big gift, like someone sent me a Fortnum and Mason hamper the other day, and I was like, wow, that's really expensive. I don't deserve that. <laughs> so it's really interesting that even for me, I still have to work on that belief around free and, 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 and money. But, but when I think about the broader concept of free, I just think it's about it is about opportunity and choice. You know, what opportunity and choice can we create for ourselves with money? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Great answer. Great stuff. And what is your
0: favourite thing to do on your own?
1: So I have two boys who have been at home for a while now. (laughs) I've got a puppy coming this Saturday. So actually, when I'm on my own, I I mean, given lockdown scenarios at the moment, I would either go for a walk. I, I just love being out in nature or just curling up on the couch with a cup of tea and a blanket and a really good book I just like it's funny isn't it how the little things like I'm nearly 40 now and I definitely feel that just being by myself I love like I used to hate being by myself in my 30s but now I really enjoy it I think because I get little time by myself so yeah a nice book and a cup of tea would be my my choice (laughs)
2: yeah books and
1: a cup of tea sound very good
2: to me I'm so English Um, aren't I I know it's it's fine we'll own it um what's the best piece of advice that you have for millennial women
1: my best advice would be to value your lessons as much as your successes Mm. um and the reason I share that is because sometimes we're always in this rat race of doing in the doing this I need to do more I need to do more I need to do more I need to improve I need to do more when actually when we just stand still and trust in ourselves and our abilities and and take the lessons that we learn every single day you know good stuff and bad stuff then there's so many good lessons to be learned about ourselves you know, and the goodness that we create in the world and all the good stuff rather than focusing on all the bad stuff. So, yeah, really value those lessons and and take note of them. You know, I I do this again every week. I look at my wins, my successes, my challenges, my lessons, and then my focus for the week ahead. And I I get all of my uh, community to do this every week as well. You know, think about the lessons that you've learned about yourself every day um, because there's no bad decisions, and particularly with money, You know, there's no bad decisions around money. Every decision that you make has a lesson. So listen to the lessons as much as um, the the successes. Mm. And
0: which resource, maybe a book, a podcast, a documentary, are you always recommending to people?
1: Oh, that's such a hard one. (laughs) There's so (laughs) many. It doesn't have to be your
0: favourite. It just has to be one you recommend a lot.
1: (laughs) Oh, okay. So... In terms of um my favorite, so my favorite podcast right now is Brene Brown's. Um, mm-hmm. I just love her work. I could mm-hmm. listen to her all day long. Um, my favorite book at the moment that I'm recommending is there's one um by a, a gentleman called Mark Woolin, which is W-O-L-Y-N-N. And it's called It Didn't Start With You. Mm-hmm. And it's perhaps one you've never heard of before, but it's it's really powerful. Um, because it talks about how intergenerational trauma is passed through the generations. And I remember I was literally reading, I think it was chapter three of the book, and I had this massive light bulb moment of, oh my goodness, my relationship with my body has been terrible over the years. But when I think back to the intergenerational patterns around body shame, my mum's dad was in the Changi prisoner of war camps during the Second World War. He survived. He came out wearing like five and a half stone. Um, And he unfortunately then passed away of a heart attack when my mum was just 12. And and so he had a very um, difficult relationship with his body because of the after effects of being a prisoner of war. And Mm. so did my mum. My mum had a terrible relationship with with her body. And so did I. Mm. And it was like this light bulb moment of like how much of this trauma actually doesn't even belong to me that I'm carrying. That's having a negative impact on my relationship with money. And it was, I was just like, wow. And, and it was almost like a moment where I was like, I had to kind of hand back that trauma to the past generations, which I know sounds a little bit woo-woo, but it was really quite transformational for me. Um, you know, and so when you're carrying shame or guilt around money, the question to ask yourself is, whose shame is this? Mm. Whose guilt is this that I'm carrying? Because it may not even actually belong to you. And if you can get rid of that and leave that behind, it can really open out the opportunity. So a great book. So Mark, Mark Willin, it didn't start with you.
0: Literally, that book sounds like exactly what I need to read. for some of the work I've been doing right now. So thank you so much for telling me about that book. I'm going to order it as soon as we get off. <laughs> yeah, You're I
2: welcome. need to read that too. <laughs> thank you. We'll pop a link to it as well in, in the show notes. So finally, um, what are you still trying to figure out?
1: I was thinking about this this morning, and and the, the the first thing that came to mind was a Rubik's cube. <gasps> like, I'm like, I still can't Let's figure it out.
0: <laughs> That's totally loud. That was my lockdown thing because I was by myself in the summer. I just was trying to do something off the screen, and I was trying to learn a Rubik's cube.
1: How? Look, like you then you need to share the secret. Like, no, how... I've not done it. I'm still figuring oh. it
2: out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh okay well that's that's a good one i don't think i've picked up a rubik's cube for about 20 years so uh yeah that'll be interesting okay well thank you so much Catherine. if people are like oh my gosh she's amazing i need to go and follow her find her tell us you know where are you where can we find you
1: yeah sure so you can come and follow us on our podcast in her financial shoes um or the other thing that we've created quite recently actually is we have a really fun quiz that you can complete on our website where if you want to really understand what is your natural relationship with money and you want some top tips to kind of get started in your journey then if you just head over to our website which is katherinemorgan.com forward slash quiz um and we've got a book that's coming out in may so hopefully probably around when this episode has been uh, released so um you know you can come and find some details about that too on our website so
0: Great. Well, thank thank you you so much, Catherine. I'm sure everyone that's listened has managed to get some great nuggets and get everyone thinking. So thank you so much
1: for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, girls. Thank you.